Good morning, good morning, good morning, Sugar Creek. Hey, my name is Xavier Maryland. I get the wonderful privilege, privilege rather, to serve as our high school pastor here at Sugar Creek. I'm so excited to see you, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online or maybe even at the Richmond Rosenberg, Darrington or Missouri City campus. It is our honor to have you worship with us today. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to ask you for a favor. Uh, it's the Christmas season still. That's why we still have it decorated. It's still nice. Also, because Christmas was yesterday. It was a Saturday. I don't know about you, but that just feels like the first Saturday Christmas I've ever celebrated for some reason. But because of that, we're still in the Christmas season. If you could do me a favor and just make eye contact, whether you're online, whether you're at a campus or whether you're here in person, make eye contact with somebody you don't know and just tell them good morning. Tell them I'm happy to see you. Thank you for being in church here today. If you're online in the chat, you could type it down in the chat. Just say, hey, Merry Christmas still because it's December 26th and we're in church. I know I just saw you a couple of days ago, but I'm still happy to see you again. <laughs> uh, yesterday was Christmas Day, uh, and that means that Christmas, or that means that New Year's Eve is coming up. I feel like this whole year lasted about five weeks. After 2020 lasted an entire lifetime, this year flew by, and it's already the day after Christmas. Because it's the day after Christmas, I know many of us have probably already opened all your gifts if you exchange gifts, and now you're in the season and the headspace of setting your New Year's resolutions or if you're, you don't like calling them that, just your goals for the next year, things that you're gonna actually get done because deep down you believe that resolutions are for people who wish, but I'm a go-getter, I'm gonna get it done. So you just set goals. Don't make resolutions, you just set goals. The point is you're in that season of goal setting and so am I. And so yesterday, my wife and I, for the first time ever on a Christmas, we decided to exchange gifts. We, we agreed. Normally we don't agree. We just both say, hey, we're not gonna get each other anything. And then we both act deathly surprised when gifts are under the tree on Christmas day. Oh my goodness, you're so thoughtful. I love you. Can't believe I get to stay married to you. It, it's wonderful. We just trick ourselves into loving each other more and more and more every day. You should try it, just surprise us. Uh, and so we agreed to get gifts together for the first time. And what happened was one of the gifts I got her was something on the side of the box. It just read some assembly required. And that just meant that before this thing was gonna be used, uh, I was gonna have to take it out of the box and I was gonna have to assemble it. I was gonna have to put it together, but that, that's okay because that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I add value to our home. And so I take the thing out of the box and then I have to make a decision. There's these instructions laying right there on top. They're tempting me possibly beyond what I'm able to withstand. And I have to decide whether or not I'm going to use the instructions or I'm gonna set them aside and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work through me. That's what I'm trying to decide right now. And, and I don't know about you, maybe you're an instructions person or maybe not. If you know you're an instructions person, then you're just sitting smiling because you know it's always gonna be right. It's gonna take you longer, but it's gonna be right. If you're not an instructions person, then maybe you just end up with two or three screws and you're like, oh, they're so sweet. They gave me extra parts for this thing. I love them. They, they care about their customers. So the point is I'm putting this thing together and the horrible part is that this particular item came from Ikea. And um, I know you're putting your hands in your face right now. If you've never shopped at Ikea, it's not that they don't make great products. It's just that their instructions don't come with any words, just pictures, almost like a puzzle that you would be putting together. There are no words, there are no, hey, flip this left, turn this right. It's all arrows, screwdrivers, and 
poorly drawn pictures if I'm, if I'm being honest. And so I start to put this thing together and it's good. But like I said, with the Ikea instructions, you have to like zoom in, you have to look down because you're like, hey, is this piece go this way? There are two holes on this side. There's one hole on this side. I gotta make sure that this wood peg is glued in here, but this one is a screwdriver. And if you're not careful, what'll happen with these Ikea instructions is that you'll put together a product that looks very, very, and I do mean very, similar to the product that is on the package. But once you prepare to use that item, if it's a bed or you know a chair or something like that, you will notice that it's a lot more wobbly and a lot less sturdy than you expected it to be. I did not expect my table to have three legs, yet here we are. And, and what happens is, what, if you don't zoom down and pay attention to every single detail that the instructions give you, you will build something that is similar to what you thought you wanted but you will not get the outcome that you wanted. And I'm here to submit for us that as we go into our new year, the scripture is no different. That there are parts of the Bible, and especially more so what we're gonna look at is Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through 10, where God uh, outlines what Paul calls a way that we should live, a way that we should walk, so to speak. And if you and I aren't careful, we will end up reading these scriptures out of context and we will set goals and walk into 2022, living a life that is very, very similar to the one that God called us to yet we will lack the ability to fulfill our ultimate purpose in Christ. And so what I wanna do is the same way that we would study those Ikea instructions and zoom in and settle in, I want us to zoom in on a, on a verse in Ephesians chapter two together. So can you turn there with me if you have your Bibles or we could put it up or we are gonna put it up on the screen for you. Uh, if you are like really, really, really extra Christian, like the people out at Richmond Rosenberg, I know their whole campus has physical Bibles. It's, it's crazy. Uh, jokes, of course. Ephesians. Chapter number two, uh, verse number eight through 10. Give you a little bit of background. This is a guy named Paul writing. He's writing letters. Uh, he's writing from prison. And he starts his letters off just by talking about how good God is. As a matter of fact, if you read the uh, pericope, that's just the bolded titles in your Bible, it says spiritual blessing in Christ and then a thanksgiving and prayer. He's like, hey, I'm just so thankful to God for you. I'm thankful for God for what he's done. And then he opens up Ephesians chapter two after all of this adoration. And he says... In verse one, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And I just want us for a second to pause and feel the weight because all I felt like Paul pulled the fancy rug from underneath me. Like he was talking about God. He had all this adoration going on. He was very optimistic. And then he just gives them this reminder. Hey, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us today that before Christ, we had no way of living a fulfilled life. Before Christ, you didn't have access to joy unspeakable, peace that surpasses all understanding. And that framework is what we bring into Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. I know I said a lot, here we go. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. I read this and it was kind of like, I've read it multiple times, but it's kind of like I surprised my wife by getting her a gift that she knew was coming. It's the same thing like, oh my God, it was the gift of God. God, I'm so glad I get to serve you. And it says, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship. Everybody say the word workmanship. 
Now, wow, that was resounding workmanship. Now, now, here's the deal. If we pause right here, we will believe that we are simply God's workmanship, period. There's a comma in that sentence and we're gonna read the rest of what it says. But if we take this out of context, we will walk through our life believing that we are God's masterpiece. The word workmanship in Greek, if you care, is the word poema. It it means uh, skillfully made. It means it was thought out. It means it took somebody who cared about it to make it. It's the word that we get the English word poetry from. if we're, not, if we're not careful, we will live our lives and set our goals like we are God's masterpiece created for God to make us look good and then set aside for other people to admire. We will believe that God wants us to have the best life possible, the most comfortable life possible, the, most, uh, the easiest life possible so that he can set us aside and the world can admire how good God has been to us without us saying a word. And that we're just meant to sit up on the shelf somewhere and to grow and to make sure that our kids are good and to make sure that my inner circle is good and to make sure that I feel good and I'm continuing to grow in my career and my life and that God is just sitting there watching me grow and he's content just to make me look like a work of art. Never to be used, never to have any any true impact outside of what people see him giving to me and what what people see him doing in my life. But that's not what the scripture says. If we keep reading after the word workmanship, it says this, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And here's the tension that you and I will live in for as long as we live, is that we are tempted to pray for, to desire, to set goals around having a good life. But God didn't create us to have a good life. He created us for good works. And the tension is that as long as you and I are alive, God has a desire to work on us and to work through us. That as long as you and I are alive, God has a desire to work on us and through us. And if I ever miss the on us, the on me or the through me, I'm not fulfilling my purpose. That if I set my goals this year and I look throughout what I want God to do and what I'm asking God for and what I'm praying to God for, if the only things I see are things that make my life better, I am missing my purpose as a Christian, which is God, you have a desire to make me look more like Jesus and you have a desire to use me looking more like Jesus to impact the world around me. And that if I go into my year without thinking, God, how are you going to use me this year to spread your gospel? How are you going to use me this year to bring awareness to Jesus? How are you going to use me this year to make your kingdom bigger? Then I have missed my entire purpose for 2022 and honestly, the rest of my life. And quite in the same way that if I say, God, I want you to use me big this year, but I'm not willing to deal with the sin in my life. I'm not willing to deal with the parts of my life that don't look like you. I'm not willing to deal with the things in my life that don't bring you glory. I'm not letting you work on me. I only want you to work through me. I'm missing my purpose because he says we are his workmanship. He wants to work on us, but we were created for good works that we would walk into. He wants to work through us. 
It, it looks like this. I want you to imagine that God, because there's this big timeline and you and I are stuck in time and we have to live in this present moment, but God doesn't. And so he thought about you. And so what he did was he set this whole plan in place for you to be born back here. He knew when your parents would meet, he knew when you would be born and then he knew that you would walk this timeline. And so he walked through eternity and then he set up situations for you to give his name glory. And he set up things that you would encounter that would give you a chance to tell people about Jesus. And then, so what he does is after those things are set in place, the things he knew you were walking to, now he walks back to where you are and he's seeing you. And so what he does, he says, hey, I know that you're gonna deal with this thing down here. You're gonna need a little bit more grace. You're gonna need a little bit more patience. You're gonna need a little bit more peace. And he starts to work on you really so that when you get to the assignment, he already can work through you. There was just a little bit of assembly required, but he knew what he wanted you to do and he had the painting in his head already. So I wanna give us, let me calm down. I wanna give us very quickly. <laughs> I wanna give us very quickly um, some things that God uses to work on us. And then on the back end of it, I'm gonna give us a few things that God will use to work through us. And this, is, this isn't in any way an exhaustive list of everything that God will use to work on us or through us. It is just our attempt in a small amount of time to bring an active awareness to things that God is using. Most of these things will be things that you know, but the, the difference will be when I approach my life actively thinking about God working on me, I respond to things differently. So let's, let, let's dive in. I, th I think you have some notes there in front of you. The first thing that God uses to work on us is problems. 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 It makes me sad. James chapter one says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God uses problems to prepare us for the assignment that he's gonna need us to do. He uses trials to get us ready for what he knows we are going to encounter. He uses difficulty to help us decide later what we're gonna do when we get a chance to make a decision that gives him glory. And I know this is something that you've heard before, but it's counterintuitive to how we actively think and live because I guarantee that if we looked at some of our goals and desires for 2022, many of them would be about how we avoid problems. Many of our goals and thoughts for the next year are, how do I avoid trials? It would be, God, next year, I don't want to encounter this thing that might make my family uncomfortable. It, 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 it would mean we would pray and say, God, I pray that you would keep me in this situation for as long as possible because we are, uh, there's something inside of us that has a desire to avoid problems and to live the easiest life possible. But I wanna ask, how would our lives be different instead of, if pray, instead of praying away the problems, we just went ahead and prayed through our response. Father God, I understand that trials and difficulties will happen next year. When that happens, will you allow my decision-making in that moment to point towards you and not towards myself? Will you allow me in a moment to not think about the problem as being bigger than you, but to think about you as being bigger than the problem? 
What if I say, hey, God, I, I understand that, that my job might not be promised next year, but if something happens and I take a pay cut, Father, what I'm asking is that you allow me to give you glory in the middle of that in advance. And I don't spend all of my time trying to pray away what God might be using to work on me. It really is counterintuitive. And think about it, we do it for our children as well. You spend so much time praying problems and trials and difficulties out of their life and trying to keep uh, this, this fence and gate around them. But honestly, the problems and the trials in life is sometimes what God will use to make them the adults that they need to be. And we can't spend our time trying to raise perfect children, but preparing them to be better adults because they won't have perfect, perfect environments when they are adults. I have to say, hey God, how do I stop praying away my problems and focus on praying through what might happen? Number two, the thing that God might use to work on us is people. God uses people to work on us. Throughout scripture, we see God use conflict with other people as a tool to work on his children. As a matter of fact, the children of Israel, they consistently battled and had wars with other nations. In Exodus chapter nine, it mentions that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then David, who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, actually sat underneath Saul, the mad king, who on multiple occasions tried to kill David and was jealous of David. And we see all of these times in scripture, God allowed people to have conflict with another person because he used the conflict to bring away of something that was trying to hide inside of my own heart and inside of my own being. And what I personally believe, even in the story of David and Saul, is that because David, who ended up being king later, sat underneath Saul, who was a horrible king, David learned so many valuable lessons about kingship that he wouldn't have learned had he not had to deal with the abrasion of another person. And God used the, the rubbing, the tension uh, to highlight something in David that would be invaluable to him later. Let me tell you how this, this works in our own lives. There are some of us that if it wasn't for our teenager, we wouldn't even pray. As a matter of fact, it's their disrespect and talking back that gets you to seek the Lord on a daily basis. And you are forced consistently to go back to God and say, Father, help me not to kill him. And if it wasn't for the abrasion that your teenager or worse, your youngest child provided in your life, you wouldn't seek God as much as you do. And oftentimes you ask yourself, you go and you say, God, you say, God, I cannot believe I'm arguing with a four-year-old, but I am doing it right now and I need you to intervene and give me the words to say, Holy Spirit, because I don't know what to do. And the tension and abrasion that I have with other people highlights something in my own life that I need to work on. God uses other people to work on us. There are those of us in here who you didn't know you had a problem with cursing until you got married and met your in-laws. 
You didn't know that you had a problem with anger until that one day you had to drive into Houston during rush hour traffic and somebody cut you off and you started thinking thoughts that you've never thought before and they weren't great and holy thoughts. They were the other kind of thoughts. And God used attention and abrasion to highlight something in your heart that he needed to work out of you because remember, as long as you are living, he's working on you because he wants to work through you. And every time I have some tension and abrasion with somebody else, I have to ask God, was it, what is it inside of me that you are trying to work out of me so that I can be prepared for what you want to do through me? There are those of us who didn't know we had a problem with forgiveness until a couple of days ago, we were gathered for Christmas Eve and that family member started talking about vaccination status. And then you had this whole issue and unforgiveness and bitterness crept up in your heart and you didn't realize that was there until the abrasion happened. And you say, God, because you've allowed me to see this now, I need to work on it. There are some of us, you didn't know you had a problem with selfishness until your ministry leader or Pastor Mark did something that you didn't agree with. And now all of a sudden you're like, God, I don't know why we have to deal with this. And you're making the whole church and the whole ministry about your preferences because you can't trust your leader, which means you really don't trust that God put them in leadership, which means you really don't trust God. And it's all because God is allowing the people above you to cause some tension because he wants you to see something in your own heart. And this is difficult because normally when people are wrong, they're wrong. But we don't ask God, God, what are you trying to get me to see because of this tension? Number three is this, we're gonna move pretty quickly here. It's pain. Uh, David writes in Psalm 119 uh, verse 67, he says, before I was afflicted, I went away, but now I keep your word. <laughs> Later in verse 71, he says, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. David said, before God, before I went through that horrible moment that I went through, I was astray. Lord, before that thing happened that shook me to my core, I didn't take your word as seriously. Before I thought that I might end up divorced because of some infidelity in my marriage, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't learn what I needed to learn from God. Before my mom was on her deathbed and we were all gathering together to pray, I didn't know, but the pain taught me how to walk in your statutes. And sometimes God uses the pain, the suffering, the uncomfortability, the broken promises, the broken expectations, the times where I'm disappointed. He uses those things to work on me because he's preparing to work through me. If you know my story, you know my story is one that is very... Uh, it's a lot, it's a lot. Had a lot of issues with my parents growing up. I had a lot of issues in school growing up. I, had a, I just had a lot of issues as you could clearly see. Uh, but, the, but the point is uh, God prepared me for forgiveness 
because I had to learn to forgive my mom, to forgive my dad, to forgive my step-parents, to forgive my team. I had to learn to forgive everybody in my life, which now makes ministry to people easier because now when I see people, I, it's easier for me not to see them as their mistakes, but it's because I've been through so much pain and God has had to teach me to forgive so many times that now forgiveness is baked into who I am. It's not something I was smart enough to pray for. God used the pain to prepare me for purpose. Sometimes God uses uh, people, he uses problems, he uses pain. And I wanna give you three quick things that God uses to work through us. Because remember, God works on you because he wants to work through you. He works on me because he wants to work through me. And that he, if he was just gonna work on you for you to sit in your house and not give him glory, you would be wasting your time. If your life was about you and God's relationship only, the moment you got saved, he would have t- taken you to heaven because you won. Like you, you, you beat the game or like you, you, you got it. You accomplished it. You're saved. Go to heaven. You don't have anything else to do. But that's not true. When you got saved, God left you here on earth because he wants to work through you. And if you are breathing, whether you are one years old or whether you're 101 years old, God has something else he wants you to do on this earth. And he's going to work through you in a lot of ways. But I just want to give you three quick ones. Once again, there are things you've heard before. But when we actively live understanding that God is working through me in these areas, it allows me to be intentional in how I set goals and how I have conversations and in how I walk and interact with people. Uh, Number one, the first thing that God wants to use is your character. He, He wants to use the way that you respond to, treat, and interact in situations to bring glory to his name. As a matter of fact, you know, the fruit of the spirit, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-controls against such things. There is no law. But here's the hard part. Self-control doesn't shine through until there's a reason present for me not to be controlled. Patience doesn't shine through unless there's a situation present for me not to be patient. Kindness doesn't shine through unless there's a reason for me not to be kind. And so God wants to use your character in the moments that those responses are different than what the normal human being would do. That when everybody else would be doing one thing, that when everybody else would be responding in anger, that when everybody else would not be acting out gentleness, that when everybody else wouldn't be faithful, I've shown my character through. And God will use those responses to bring people closer to him. I know, I know, I know it's difficult. I know life gets hard, but God uses your day-to-day interactions with people and your character to bring him glory because there is something peculiar about people who do not live in a way that others consider normal. The second thing that God uh, uses to work through us is how we care for others. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, hey, and this is how people will know that you are my disciple, how you love one another. Amen. For a second, I thought it was the Holy Spirit. I was like, God, you never, 
God, you never spoke to me with background music before. This is different. I was like, okay. All right, Jesus. I was like, this is new. I was like, I was like, it's like a bing. I was like, this is going to be a great idea. Okay. <laughs> How we care for others is going to show so much about who God is. How we love our neighbor is going to show so much about who God is. Because especially right now, love and care unconditionally is not something that is common. We live in a season and a space that is consistently divided by every single thing. And when you are a person who consistently shows love and care for other people, regardless of situation, belief, or background, it has a way of inspiring those around you to ask questions. And they wanna know what is it that makes you respond this way? Our character, how we care for others. Number three, and this is the most difficult one. I put it last because I, I really wanted to run out of time and not have time to say it because it's difficult for me. It is how we counteract our flesh. That is how we deal with the sin in our lives. Sin, whatever yours is, feels good. People in your life, when they see you eliminating things that bring you pleasure, are going to ask, why is it that someone would counteract their desires? Why would they be willing to give up the thing that they want? In 1 Peter chapter four, it says this, it says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in their body is done with sin. It says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Then, this is the verse, they are surprised that you do not join them in their recklessness. People are surprised that what you used to do, you don't do anymore. People are surprised at the way you used to speak. You don't speak like that anymore. People are surprised that you used to be a person that bounced from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to person to person to person to person. And now you've been in a season of singleness and people are surprised that you don't do that stuff anymore. They are surprised at how you've changed and how you've counteracted your flesh on how you fought and worked and did everything that you can do to say, God, these things that are not like you, take them away from me. They marvel at your ability to counteract your flesh. As long as we live, God has a desire to work on us in so many ways and to work through us in so many ways. Um, yesterday when I was putting together that, that item, I needed uh, some tools. And so I got my little drill out, literally my little drill. I know some of you are looking at it like, hey, that's not a, I don't care. I'm not that guy. You know, I'm not, 
I'm not a tool guy, not principled like that. I'm sorry. You judge me if you want. So I got out my little cheap drill that I've had forever. And uh, I started, you know, I clicked it twice. Like everybody does when they pick up the drill. I don't know why we did it. I just charged it, but got to do that. That's to ensure. And I go down and I start, you know, drilling stuff in. It says use a screwdriver, but I use a drill. I start drilling stuff in and I'm, I'm getting it together and I'm working on this product and it's all coming together. It's expediting my life. It's making my life so much easier. My wife is still judging me because she's a rule follower and she keeps saying the screwdriver's over there. I'm like, but that's over there. This is right here. And so I'm, I'm continuing to work. But then there was one point where I was trying to work and, and my drill, for whatever reason, just would not move. And so I do what any person does when their drill doesn't move. I start hitting it as hard as I can, like I'm smacking it on the ground. I'm doing whatever. I'm trying to get it. And I'm trying to, you know, take the little drill bit out to see if I can replace it. I'm, I'm changing batteries. And I took some time to stop from working on the product because I needed to work on the tool because the tool, the product was based on the tool living out its full purpose. And see, in your life and in my life, what we have to realize that at any given moment, I, I am never the item that God is working on. I am not the present for the world. I'm not the gift for the world to be admired. I am always the drill created in the hand of the Father. And at any given moment, God will stop using me because he needs to equip me in a different way. He needs to charge me. He needs to work on me. And he's only doing that stuff, not so people would admire me but that people would look at what he's doing through me and admire the master. I have never seen anything in my life be built and go, I bet the drill they used was absolutely wonderful. Never have I done that. I've always said, look at what the hands of the project maker did. If the drill could talk, the drill would say, I was sitting one day and I had no way of building anything. I had no worth. I was uncharged. And God, he picked me up for where I was. The, the master, he attached something to me that gave me a little bit of life and power. He equipped me with the tools that I needed to accomplish. And he started doing something. I had no idea what he was doing, but when it was finished, it was beautiful. And now I wait every day to see the master pick me back up and do something else through me. And church, that's my prayer for each and every one of us this year. What would it look like if this were the year you said, God, I want you to work on every part of my life, not so that I look good and that I live a great life, but so that I could give your name glory. This is the year I'm going to make the decision to get into a connect group. This is the year I'm going to make the decision to start serving. This is the year I'm going to get baptized. This is the year I'm going to join. I'm going to start leading a connect group. This is the year I volunteer in children's ministry or student ministry. This is the year I start singing in the choir. This is the year I focus on God's saying, I want you to work on me and I want to allow you to work through me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the fact that you have a plan for our lives. Father, that's it. We are just thankful that you have a plan. This year, Father, as we set our goals and we think about our plan, I pray that we would only do so thinking about who you are and how you always want to work on us and how you always want to work through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody together say it. Amen.